0: So for those who don't know, this is uh, maybe your first time with us, uh, that's Kevin Pinkerton. He's our uh, senior pastor at the main campus down in Fremont, uh, Grace Community Church, and uh, I'm the campus pastor. My name is Harold, and uh, Kevin's up on the big screen, um, usually the first Sunday of each series that we do, and then I carry the rest of the service, uh, gives you guys a little bit of a break from me. <laughs> well, thank you for not laughing at that. I appreciate that. I'm just testing you. So you guys do love me. Hmm. Appreciate that. Um, so so I got to cover some things today, but I also wanted to do a little pre-celebration celebration and give you guys some statistics, some things that have happened over this past year, because uh, we kicked off, launched March 19th, 2017. It is now March 18th. You know how the calendar works. Okay, so uh, it is a year, and uh, so I want to give you some statistics. Now, these are numbers, okay, but we have to remember numbers mean people, and this means impact in people's lives, okay, so this is good stuff, um, so go ahead and throw up what we have here. So um, we launched with 34 people, so we had 14 that were here, and we had 20 people from our main campus uh, who either came up, because they, they lived out in Fremont and came up, or maybe they lived out closest, closer to us. And so they said, hey, we want to be a part of the launch of Grace Point. So we started out with 34. We've had 178 plus and who have come through the building on a Sunday morning. So that's 178 people who have filled out a welcome card. Now we know, um, and I, you know, I've attended other churches and I haven't filled out welcome cards. Um, so we know there's you know, 200 maybe that have come through, um, you know, checked out the church but didn't fill out a welcome card. And that's, you know, that's fine, you know, whatever, it's, it's it's just kind of information for us. We, our high was 128. Um, launch Sunday, we had 147, but I'm not counting that because, you know, a bunch of people came up from Fremont and they wanted to help kick things off and it was kind of a cool thing. So 128 high attendance. Anybody know what Sunday that was? Christmas Eve. So Christmas Eve. All right. Um, like a week or two after, we had 115, you know, something. like that. Um, we have about 105, 110, somewhere in there, regular attenders. Um, and we're averaging about 90 each Sunday, and I have a bar graph, if you're, if you're into graphs, so, so there's our bar graph, you so it kind of, in July and August, you know, because people are at the lake, you know, they're out hanging out and stuff, I'm here, um, (laughs) but they're at the lake, that's fine, no, I'm just saying, no, I'm not saying anything about they get to go to the lake and I don't, I'm just saying, I can go on Monday when no one's there, because that's my day off. So don't feel bad. So there, and then, you know, we kind of, uh, 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 moving up. Um, but that's cool. Uh, you can figure out the percentage of growth, that is. Uh, so here's the, uh, the impact, uh, some other impact that we've had. Uh, Fifteen people have indicated salvation and faith in Christ, and that's an awesome thing, yeah. Um, so as far as the, indica- you know, again, we kind of do a hand thing here, if you're accepted Christ. Two last week did that, uh, and, and again, that's, that's what we're in business for, right? You know, we want to see people come to Christ. We want you and me inviting people, have them come to church. We want to be interacting with them outside of church. You know, it's not a thing where you go, hey, you want to come to church, and then you never talk to them again, you know? <laughs> um, because again, Jesus Christ, the relationship with Jesus Christ, is the most important thing in a person's life and eternity, right? So that's what we're all about. So uh, three people follow the Lord in baptism, uh, serving, we have 22 people on our impact team. Those are the greeters, parking lot guy, coffee people, um, ushers, you know, stuff like that. Uh, we have 12 in our grace, 12 serving in our grace kids. Actually, it should be four that are rotating on our praise team. So, Grace Community sends up um, the band. Okay, Caleb and Dalton who are up here have a responsibility down in Fremont as well. So they bring up some people and then some of our people jump in. So Greg and Jeff and Kathy and Bethany are, are those. And then four, rotating in our tech team and Greg is actually our tech director. So he's kind of keeping us in line that way. And then we have a bunch of others that are cleaning things, fixing things, eventing things. Um, We had a huge number of people over here yesterday, I think more than we even anticipated, to help set up for the event. Um, And so there's always people uh, coming in and helping and and doing what needs to be done. So I just want to thank everybody. Um, Again, you are Grace Point Church, and so you are taking care of our church and taking care of each other and helping each other out. So I just want to say thank you from, from me, your pastor, um, you know, just of what we're doing. A couple other things: uh, membership. We've had 26 people um, who have uh, jumped in on membership again. Membership is just a thing here. We say, "Hey, I want to be on the team." You know, um, it's not a huge push. It's not a huge thing, but uh, we encourage people. Hey, if you like our church, be part of a member. You know, m- members. Um, you know, it's not like you get a special. Um, coffee time with me. You know, anybody can have a coffee time with me, especially if you're paying. (laughs) Anyways, um, so, sorry. Uh, And then our leadership development, this is kind of the cool thing. Um, I've been in ministry for 25 plus years. I've seen a bunch of different kinds of churches, been a pastor in different kind of churches, and one of the things I found in most uh, churches that are struggling is that they don't have a, a solid group of people, foundational group of people, who understand theology, who understand doctrine, who understand the ministry philosophy of the church. So the first thing that we got kicked off here was that. And so round one, um, including myself, there's six of us who are currently finishing up round one. Four so far have signed up for round two. That's still in the process. So you can still sign up, guys, to be a part of that. Uh, The information's out on the information table. So you can sign up for that, be a part of that. Um, I'm going to probably have some of the guys share in the next several weeks what's going on, how, they're, how that's impacted them. But again, it's um, doctrine, theology, ministry, philosophy. It's real basic kind of stuff, getting a, a solid foundation. And there's 15 plus women, 15 to 20 women, who just started round one. Kim's taking them through on Saturdays, and you can jump in on that. It's not a thing where you need to sign up you just show up and be a part of that. Um, Kim would love to have you there. Uh, and then from that, that's how we're going to grow our ministries. We're going to that's, those are the people that we're going to be building ministry upon, and so we're pretty excited about that. Um, we just kicked off our young adults ministry. Uh, we've been at it for two weeks. I had about 15 attend, um, 13, 15, somewhere like that, uh, attend the last couple weeks. We're praying through and talking about what we can do for, for middle school, high school, okay? So <sighs> that's all that information uh, real quickly about what God's doing. Uh, it's been exciting. I'm looking forward to, as we get into, into year two, I know God's doing some neat things in your lives, um, and we're not at the point where we can share some of those things, but eventually i will have those come up you know, as kind of a testimony for you guys, and we'll do it in a way that you're not too scared <laughs> to be up in front, maybe videotape it or something, put it up on a big screen. But we, we need to know what God's doing in our lives, and I think it's a great opportunity uh, for you who are seeing God doing some impactful things in your lives, going through some difficult times. To be able to share what God is doing, so I know you're—I know you're anxious to get into the partying. So um, I'm going to try to get to the point this morning, if I can. If it's your first time with us, boy, are you in for a treat? Um, (laughs) um, But we are in our series called Public Enemy, and and we're looking at a few of the things just over our our series—a four-week series ending on Easter about some of the things that Jesus did and how Jesus lived and what Jesus taught that caused him to be a public enemy, to be public enemy number one uh, with those um, in his day. Last week we looked at a statement that he made that was really what we call a declaration of war. And it was a declaration of war against, against his enemies, um, primarily against Satan, and, but also those who would choose to side with Satan, whether they knew it or not, they were siding with him. We saw that... Um, one of the groups was the religious leaders, and the religious leaders actually believed that Jesus' power came from Satan. And uh, so Jesus had some words for them, of course. But so they obviously saw him as an enemy. The religious people, the people who followed uh, Judaism, which was the, the Jewish religion that they call it at the time, they uh, you know, sometimes they were kind of following Jesus, other times they decided not to, but when it came to the point that when he said that I am I am what you need for eternal life. They made a choice. Uh, We're going to stick with our religion. Thank you very much. We don't want that relationship with you. And so they turned away from him uh, and went away. So they chose religion over relationship. Um, And so this week we want to look a little bit more at the uh, the religious people and um, how it was that they saw Jesus as an enemy. So if you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, if you use the Pew Bible in front of you, i encourage you to do that. It'll be up on the screen, but it's always good to have the Bible in your hands, reading it for yourself, uh, making sure that I'm not tweaking it in some way. Page 996 in the Pew Bible, if you're going to look at that. So Mark chapter 2, we're going to read just uh, four verses here. Kind of an interesting, uh, interesting conversation that Jesus has with, uh, with the religious leaders. So we're gonna pick up a story where um, Jesus had just healed a, a paralytic, a guy who was paralyzed, and uh, he really angered <laughs> the uh, the religious leaders because not only did he heal him, but he also said, "Your sins are forgiven." And they're like, "What? You know, How can you say that? Only God can say that." Um, and so he does that. He irritates them, uh, frustrates them, and then we pick up the story in verse 13, and it says this speaking of Jesus, and he went out again by the seashore, so he left that house, and he went to the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, or Matthew, uh, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and Levi got up and followed him, and it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, so Jesus said, follow me. And, uh, you know, Jesus has done this a couple times, where he says, follow me, and then he goes to their house to eat food. And I don't think his purpose is to get a meal, okay? I think he's, you know, it's hospitality. They're they're wanting him into their home, you know. He gets a meal, but that's not the purpose of him, you know, (laughs) of them saying, follow me. So he's reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees, okay, so this is the time when you need to have that little cartoon mind, right? Your little movie mind. They're sitting in Matthew's house and there's a bunch of them. So how did the scribes of the Pharisees know that Jesus was in there with them except that what, they were, what were they doing? They're following behind. They're going to try to see what's Jesus doing now? How can we get him in trouble now, right? So they're, in a freaky way, looking through the windows or something. When they saw he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to the disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners." So he he angers the religious leaders by saying and and demonstrating that he is God and forgiving a man's sin. And now he goes and sits with tax collectors and sinners. And, you know, we can kind of get an idea of how people feel about tax collectors, right? Uh, It's tax season. um, And we're not always having a good time about that. So how could Jesus, God in the flesh hang out with these kinds of people? That's, that's the question we want to answer this morning. I'm going to answer it by asking and then answering three other questions. And so it's, here are the three questions. Number one, who are these people? So who are the tax collectors and sinners? Why is this such an issue for the religious leaders? Why do the religious leaders think Jesus should hang, uh, hang out with them or should not hang out with them? And why would Jesus then hang out with them? All right? Kind of basic questions, right? I'm a basic guy, you know... Um, So, who are the people? Who are the tax collectors and sinners? Tax collectors. They're Jewish men that Rome hired to take the taxes from the Jewish people for Rome. And so what they did is, they said, Rome says, we need this much tax from the Jewish people. And then the tax collectors, the Jewish tax collectors, would take that, plus anything else they could get from them. Alright, so obviously... These people are not looked at real well. They're considered traitors, of course, because they're helping um, Rome, and Rome was their enemy. It was their oppressor. Um, they were considered um, on the same level as murderers and robbers. All right, not thought of too much. They couldn't be judges. Uh, they couldn't be a witness in a court. So if there was a, something going on in the streets. Somebody, you know, kill somebody else or m- mug somebody else and they saw it, they couldn't be called because they couldn't be trusted. Um, they were excommunicated from the synagogue, so they were kicked out of Judaism, and then they disgraced their entire family. So you can f- see the pressure that was on these guys, right? Um, you know, Their whole family is going to be disgraced because of the choice they made to be a um, you know, tax collector. And so from a tax, kick, tax collector's point of view, since the religious people, the representatives of God, at least according to the religious people, the religious leaders, these representatives of God didn't have anything to do with them, and so they're not going to have anything to do with, with religion, with Judaism, with God. But when a guy shows up named Jesus who claims to be God and demonstrates the power of God, and he says, hey, I want to hang out with you, they jump at the opportunity. because It says many tax collectors and sinners were there. Okay, so who are the sinners? Uh, the sinners are the people that the religious leaders and religious people looked at and said, You don't follow what the Pharisees say you should do. So, therefore, you're not, you're a sinner. Okay? <laughs> no, I, I was raised in a church and I was raised in kind of a legalistic home, and there was some of that going on. Anybody who didn't attend our church, who didn't think the way we thought, were sinners. And you shouldn't be around them. It's a separate idea, okay? Then as a kid, I'm reading this. I'm going, okay, I'm not seeing quite what they're seeing by that. And, but the religious leaders and the religious people thought the same way. These people weren't following the Pharisees' interpretation of the law, so therefore they were sinners. And they were outcasts. They were unwanted. And if the Pharisees were out in the market, walking around town, and they came home, they would always do a ceremonial cleansing of themselves just in case they touched one of them because they were so disgusting and sinful and unclean. It's kind of a weird thing. But here's the deal, and I want to hit this real quick and then I'll move on. These people weren't sinners, the Pharisees were saying that they were sinners, not in the sense that they disobeyed the law, the Mosaic law, or the law of man in a sense, like the legal laws. They said they were sinners because of the Pharisees' interpretation of the law, and that's a crucial point, you guys, for us, as we understand religion and relationship and what it means to, to follow christ see god has always been about relationship with people you go all the way back to exodus 19 when the law was first given and leading up to the law god has just freed israel from egypt he's taken them to mount Sinai, sinai so they're out in the desert there and there are millions of people hanging out around this mountain and then god says to them do you want me to be your god Do you want to be in relationship with me where I promise I will protect you, I will provide for you, I will be your God? And the nation as a whole says, yes, we want that relationship with you. Let me read it for yourself, Exodus 19. They say, yes, we want that. So then God gives them the law, the Mosaic law, not the one that the Pharisees have created, but the Mosaic law. And the point of the Mosaic law was, not, how, not for man to get to God, because they already have the relationship. How you maintain that relationship? What do you do when you sinned against your heavenly Father? Well, this is how you have your sins forgiven, so the, the relationship can be maintained. What is God like? Well, the law is going to tell us what God is like. Paul talks about it this way in Galatians in the New Testament. He talks about it as a tutor. And he says, Therefore the law has become our, tu- our tutor, so some people have speech impediments, like me, and R's and W's can be a little bit of a struggle for me. So the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. So we may be justified by faith, declared not guilty by faith. But now that faith has come, speaking of Jesus, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The, the law was given to tell Israel about this incredible God that they are in relationship with. It was never to be the way in which they got to God, had a relationship with them, or or established, initiated the relationship with them. But what happened was the religious leaders forgot that, missed that point, and began to develop out of the Mosaic Law this large number of rules and regulations and guidelines and rituals and then said... Based on these things is how you make yourself right with God. But that's not what Jesus was all about. Jesus spent his time on earth trying to tell them, you guys, you're wrong. I'm God. I wrote the law. I know. And you're wrong. You need to repent from that, change that, and get back to what is reality. And here's the crucial point, you guys. We've got a lot of Christian denominations that have done the same thing. That have taken what Jesus said while he was here on earth and then built something on it that is not at all what Jesus wants. And he said, and they say, just believe us when we said, when we say this. Jesus said this, but believe us when we say this, that you need to do this, this, and the other, whatever it is. And there's a bunch of different things that a bunch of bunch of different Christian denominations would say you have to do to put yourself in a position to be right with God, okay? All right, so anyways, having that conversation, you see uh, why they thought that Jesus shouldn't hang out with these people, because they had the wrong concept of who these people were. And if Jesus was a religious leader or a teacher of law, he should not um, hang out with them because he would become unclean, number one, and number two, he wouldn't be able to hang out with them because they didn't do that he shouldn't do it so you know he needs to be aware of that secondly and worse if he is god then in the religious view god is being contaminated by sin and that just can't be that'll just blow their minds that's outside of their box they can't have it and therefore they're convinced he wasn't god Um, and he was not a religious leader, certainly on par with them. And not only was he, um, you know, shouldn't be listened to, but he had to be dealt with. Uh, And we know what's going to be happening. We'll be talking about that at Easter time, what happened to him. So then the, the final question is, why would Jesus hang out with these people, especially if he was God? Well, the quick answer is this. Since the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, God has always been interacting with sinful man. Has he not? (laughs) Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? God showed up. What did God do? Interacted. His goal for interacting on a relationship level with mankind has always been to restore the relationship. Let's get the relationship back to where it was. It's been infected by sin. It makes man spiritually dead. It makes no relationship with God anymore. And so let's fix that problem. And God was always interacting with sinful man in order to bring him back to him and restore the relationship. And Jesus, being God, is just carrying that on, but now God is on the scene. That's the difference. God is in the flesh, walking among men. And so, as we know, Jesus explains it this way in this passage, verse 17. It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I do not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so, what does he mean there? We want to break this down real quickly here before we finish up. Jesus is sitting with these people, these sinners, because they're sinners. <laughs> okay? That's what God does. God sits and has conversations and interacts with those who are sinful people. All of us here who have given our our lives to Christ who have received his forgiveness, we've experienced that. It's a spiritual thing, it's a heart thing. But we've experienced that. We've experienced him talking to us and reading the Bible or being at church and getting a sense and an understanding of where we're at with God and how uh, you know, things are messed up in my life, and, and i 've sinned against God and i 'm spiritually dead that 's all something that God is doing in our hearts and in our minds through His holy Spirit, so we 're aware of that, we get that. And He says the physically healthy people don 't need a doctor. Well yeah, we get that, but this is the crucial point there 's another group of people who don 't think they need a doctor so People who are healthy don't need a doctor. People who think they're healthy also don't think they need a doctor. I know some people who... um, I know a guy, a good friend of mine, I've talked about him here before, had cancer, um, was in remission, um, felt great, and... uh, Life was good, four months, you know, he's doing good. Went back to the doctor for a four or six month checkup or whatever it was and full of cancer and passed away in a month's time. But for those six months, he felt great. You know, he was thinking, I'm good to go. This is awesome. We're all thanking the Lord, you know. He was free of, of cancer. The cancer came back, unfortunately. But the point is, if we don't know that we're sick, we think we don't need a doctor. That's the religious people. So when Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous, he's saying those who are righteous, I didn't come for them. We're going to find out there's no one righteous. But the religious leaders aren't catching that because they don't even realize that they're sinners because of their belief system. They're not believing what Jesus has to say because he's doing things outside of their box. And so they don't think they need Someone to heal them. Someone to make them spiritually well. So they think they're spiritually good to go. Now, side note, sidebar. I've had this question from some people. Here, what do we do? How do we talk with people who um, aren't religious? They don't go to church. They don't have any kind of church background. They don't come from any other religion in the world. They don't have a sense of necessarily God and all that kind of stuff. Well, we have to understand something, that even an atheist is religious in this sense. An atheist has a set of beliefs, right? Have you ever chatted with an atheist? Okay. They have a set of beliefs, right? They believe that their creator is evolution. They, they believe that uh, change happens as we you know, make change happen, so politics and... Um, Uh, you know, different organizations that push for change and that kind of thing. But really, it's all about man. And then you can go to, um, I I wrote down a site that you can go to because I was reading on it this morning, American Humanist Association. Their phrase is, good without a God. (laughs) That's their little, you know, catchphrase. Um, Good without a God. But everybody puts their faith in something. They can't prove evolution, scientifically we can't scientifically prove creation there's some really good arguments by the way for creation i don't think there's some very good arguments for evolution but that's besides the point 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 is everyone puts their faith in something religious people put their faith in some being humanistic people humanism the religion of humanism atheism puts their faith in mankind themselves and others So on that level, everyone follows their set of beliefs, and they think through those beliefs they're going to find whatever they're looking for. They're going to have established a relationship with a being. They're going to enter into that being's um, world. Uh, We call it heaven. Other people call it nirvana. It's becoming one with nature. I mean, whatever the case is, the point is, everybody is religious in a sense that everybody has a faith they have guidelines that they live by, and so therefore, that belief in those things is what causes them to not see Christ for who He is and the need for Him. But here's the problem: There is a God <laughs> Again, by faith. I can give you some good arguments for him. can't prove it. But there is a God, and what he thinks is what really matters. All right? So we can have all these great ideas about what should be done what shouldn't be done. This is going to be an awesome time. This is, oh, man, God's going to love this idea. And, man, if I'm doing these good things, why shouldn't God like that I'm doing these things and bring me into, his, into a relationship with him based on what I'm doing? We can have all these really good thoughts. I could jump into a car, and I could go like, oh, man, this is, this is a great idea. I can actually go in reverse, and I could drive down the road in reverse. How cool is that? and then go drive down the road in reverse. There'll be some people think I'm nuts, but everybody else who's driving in reverse will think I'm the coolest guy in the world. Look at him. Eh, yeah, he's doing a good job. you know. So it matters what God thinks. I'm not even sure that I even res- connected with what I'm talking about, but it sounded funny. Um, and here's the point. No one is righteous. In and of themselves... No one is righteous. Nobody is, no one is right with God. We're all sinners in and of ourselves. And no matter how religious or irreligious we are, no matter how much religious stuff we do, no matter how many times we come to church, no matter how many times we get dunked underwater, no matter how many times we become a member of a church, you know, whatever, again, whatever the, the list is, it's not enough to breathe spiritual life into us because without Christ we're spiritually dead. Okay, Paul talks about this, he goes back to the Old Testament and he, he grabs one of the Psalms actually, a couple of Psalms say this and he reminds us what God thinks. It's Romans 3 10 through 12 and it's in all capital letters just because. My, the translation of scripture that I use, the New American Standard, when it goes to the Old Testament, it actually puts it all in bowls so that you know that's from the Old Testament. So he's not yelling at you. You know, today you do that and he's yelling. So no one's yelling at you. Just chill. Some of you guys are like... <laughs> it says this. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Weird, isn't it? There's none who seeks for God. There's a lot of people who are seeking for who they think God is, but there's none who are seeking for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Paul goes on later in that chapter, and he explains it this way. And so I want to kind of break this down for you, if I can. And it says this, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, that's what we all need. We need God's righteousness, not our own, God's, okay? So apart from the law, to the Jews, the law, to us, religious do's and don'ts, whatever those might be, the righteousness of God has been manifested. The, the righteousness of God that could be mine has been manifested in some way apart from religious do's and don'ts. That's what it's saying. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets kept telling Israel it's not about do's and don'ts, it's about a relationship with God. Get yourselves right with God on a relationship level, on a personal level. They were witnessing to that. The religious leaders were missing it. But they... We're trying to point them, just like Jesus at this point is trying to point everybody back to that fact. Even the righteousness of God, where does the righteousness of God come from? Okay. Through faith, I'm, I'm kind of wide body, so pardon me, guys, sorry, you guys answered the question, would you? Even the righteousness of God through faith, and a bunch of religious stuff. Oh, no. In Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified or declared not guilty. I love that. I've been like sitting on that phrase a lot. Declared not guilty as what? A gift by his grace, which also is another word for gift, through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. We can't miss this point, you guys. If we want to be right with God, if we want to hear God say, you are not guilty, It has to be in relationship to the sin, the sin that's caused us to be separated and caused us to be spiritually dead. It's found not in our works, but in the work that Jesus did on the cross. And when we trust in that, and when we say, Heavenly Father, yes, I believe that I'm a sinner, I'm separated from you, and I'm putting my faith, I'm putting my full weight of trust, I'm Sitting on Christ. Nobody, I've used this illustration before. I didn't see anybody. Of you, any of you guys walking in this morning making sure that the pew was sound. You came in and you put your full weight of trust onto that pew. I put my full weight of trust, believe there's quite a bit of weight, um, on that chair. And that's what we do in a spiritual sense. We say, ah, oh, I get it. Jesus paid that price. Jesus did the work so I trust in what he did and then when I trust in that and I ask God to forgive me of my sins God says you're forgiven and I'm declaring you not guilty of any of your sins and not only that but I'm going to adopt you into my family relationship and I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you interaction, fellowship teaching empowering and now you are a child of God. Now you are in relationship with God through faith in Christ. And he gives it as a gift. Because if, if we had to work for it, it's no longer Jesus doing it. If we had to work for it, now it becomes a wage. Something that we earn. But we can't do it. We can't get past the physical... Doing something religiously, you know, if this was some sort of religious movement to pick up a chair like this and put it back down, that doesn't, that can't do anything for me spiritually. It's a physical action. can't do anything for me spiritually. I could do this a hundred times, and then I'd collapse and you'd have to pick me up, but I could do it a hundred times, still not doing anything for me spiritually, God has to do something for me spiritually. God has to do something in you spiritually. And he wants to do it. He's willing to do it. He sent Jesus Christ to make it happen. This doesn't take care of an eternity in hell. Jesus took our eternity in hell. That's Jesus' point. He would have sat with the religious leaders if they'd only realized that they needed that them, that religion was not going to get them right with God and into heaven one day. They thought they were good to go. So in a sense, he wasn't calling them because they weren't listening. But he called Levi, and Levi got up and went, followed Jesus. And a bunch of other tax collectors and a bunch of other sinners followed Jesus, and they sat with him, and they, they, let, him, they let him teach who he was and what he was all about, and we have a record of that as we go through Mark and the Gospels and all of the New Testament, who Jesus was and what he came to do. But it's on us. We have to say, okay, am I a religious person who doesn't need Jesus? Or in spite of my religious beliefs, do I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus? When we do that, and we give our lives to him, and he forgives us of our sins, and God puts his Holy Spirit in us, now we're a child of God. We're good to go. We have God in our lives, our sins are forgiven, and we're going to get to go to heaven one day. So, are you saying no good works? Not saying that at all, because the Bible talks a lot about good works and doing a lot of good works. We're not going to go there, but you can look it up for yourself. Ephesians 2 1 through 10. Spend some time reading through there. 1 through 9 is all about salvation, 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 becoming a child of God. Boom, 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 boom. All God does. Verse 10. But we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand. So we do good works not for salvation. We do good works... Because we're saved. See the difference? So yeah, so this becomes an act of worship. Oh, you you guys need this in the quad? Well, carry this over to the quad. And if I did it a hundred times and I did it because I wanted God to be glorified and you guys to be served, that's an act of worship, not an act of salvation or receiving salvation. It's working out my salvation in the sense of showing it. Isn't that awesome? You guys? Isn't it great to know that we don't have to work for our salvation? Your friends outside of this church building who you've talked to about the Lord, you need to ask and ask God, help me to explain it to them, help them to understand that they don't need to work for their salvation. Salvation has already been worked for and paid for by Jesus. That's why he came. We just need to trust that. We need to put our full weight of trust on that. And then when we do that and we give our lives to Christ, God forgives us of our sins, puts his Holy Spirit in us, and now we're a child of God. Now the good works matter and mean something because any child looks like their parent. One of these days, I'm going to put my family up on on the screen, (laughs) and you guys will, like, freak. How could you have, you know, quintuplets or whatever a five is, you know? Because now even the grandkids and the great-grandkids are all looking like this. (laughs) Um... (laughs) God has humor, we know that. So let me just end with this. If you have if you're at a place this morning and you've never understood that, that's never been made clear before in your own heart and your mind, if it's becoming clear to you, it's not me, it's God who's making it clear to you. And all you need to do is take a moment, have a conversation with God, just your heart to his, and just say, I know I'm a sinner. I know that my judgment is eternity in hell, but Jesus took my hell for me, and I'm trusting that when you said He did that, that He did it. And I'm asking you to forgive me my sins. And when you do that, God says He justifies you, He declares you righteous, He declares you not guilty, and He places his Holy Spirit in you to become a child of His. Would you go ahead and stand? Let me close in a word of prayer. And um, I, had, well, I wasn't given any instructions for the party, so I would just say when you're done, you know, visit the little boys' room, little girls' room if you have to. And then, oh, do I have any instructions to give before I pray? Because I'll pray now for the meal so we don't have any more like, oh, wait, let's pray and then eat, you know, because you don't want indigestion. <laughs> okay. Somebody will whistle. Yeah, but we're going to cut the cake after you, like, don't even <laughs> Okay, gotcha. All right, gotcha. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. We'll close the service. If you have any more questions about salvation and all that, please come talk to me. But really, it's just a conversation between you and the Lord. And if the Lord's telling you you need to do it, you know what you need to do because God's a better teacher than I could ever be. He's perfect. Uh, and I'm also going to pray for the meal. And then just kind of hang out until you hear a whistle or something, and uh, like dogs to the whistle or we'll run in and eat. Right? Lord, we want to thank you for this morning. We thank you for the uh, opportunity we've had to worship you. We, we thank you for the fact that we're one year old, and, um, and most importantly, Lord, we're so thankful for Jesus Christ and the work he did. Lord, I, I would just pray that your Holy Spirit would be the one who makes it clear, because I can't, only you can. It's a spiritual dynamic there that only you can do. And I pray that if there's any here who don't uh, have that relationship with you, that maybe they've been trusting and hanging on to their religion, hanging on to no religion, and they're realizing, oh man, Jesus was more than just some guy walking around in a robe and sandals talking about God. He was God himself. And he did everything I needed in order to have my sins forgiven. Spiritual life breathed back into me and a relationship with God established. I just pray, Father, that you would make that clear, that they would receive that this morning. Lord, as we celebrate this time, may it be honoring to you. May it be a great time of worship. Thank you again for your love for us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, thanks for being with us. I hope you all stay. we got plenty of food, like I said. So give Kim about 10 minutes. Chat, we'll see you in there.